Hi, welcome to Diving Into Deep Waters. I'm your host, Erin Rowling, and whether this is your first time tuning in with us or you've listened to every single podcast, I hope that you feel like you're sitting down with a nice hot cup of coffee with your bestie and that you get to laugh or maybe even cry or whatever emotion you need to feel. And at the end of it, you feel blessed, encouraged, strengthened, and challenged. So welcome. Yes, we have a new intro, which honestly, sometimes that's <laughs> the hardest part of this podcast is the intro, coming up with the intro. Anyways, um, I hope that you had a good Easter. Um, I know for us, it was wonderful to be in person this year. Uh, I hope that you got to be in person. I know some churches are still not open, and so that's maybe wasn't available to you this Easter still. Um, Because we know last year for sure we were all online. And it was just kind of, it almost didn't feel like Easter. I don't know. It felt weird because my kids stayed home. We went to the church and we recorded. And so I was the, me and my husband were the only ones who dressed up. And the kids were in their pajamas. And it was just like my whole life. I've never had that experience of, Half my family staying home for Easter and us all not being together and doing all of the Easter things uh, that we we get to do. And even this year, you know, we're still not fully back to how we normally celebrate. For us, our church normally rents out the gym at our high school so we can do one big service. And I don't know, there's just something like a electric about everyone being together and this just this energy and everything so we still didn't get to the full-on thing but I'll definitely take this year over what we had last year and hopefully you got to experience some level of it being different than last year um also a another blessing for me was I got to have all my kids home Um, my three kids from Grand Rapids came home and uh, for our family, uh, when, you're, when your parents are pastors, you don't get to celebrate Easter on that Sunday the same way other people's family or if your parents are in ministry or if you're in ministry or whatever it is. If you're serving on any capacity at your church, um, you know, Sundays are, you get there early, you got stuff to do. So you don't get to do that like traditional breakfast and hide the Easter baskets and all that stuff. So it was really great because I kind of proposed to my kids, I was like, let's do everything on Saturday so that we can just enjoy the day together as a family. And so we did a big breakfast. Um, and then uh, yet my husband hid the Easter baskets. Yes, we hide our adult children's Easter baskets. Um, my husband finds a lot of joy in that. So I cannot take that away from him. <laughs> and my kids want their candy. So um, I don't know. I don't know how old is too old to get an Easter basket. I'm not sure of that answer yet, but uh, I think my kids would probably say never. But um, And we got to do Easter uh, eggs, you know, color them, do all that fun stuff, which I I really kind of enjoy. It's just fun to color eggs. Um, so, and you know, the funny thing is if you're a mom, I think you totally get me. We love holidays, right? We we love putting our effort into those um, little details for our kids. And there's so much that goes into it. 
But are we exhausted or what afterwards? I took a three-hour nap on Sunday after we had gone to dinner and gone to Dairy Queen because I've been waiting to go to Dairy Queen. And um, almost had like a thing because our, the Dairy Queen we were by was closed. And I was like, excuse me. I mean, I get it. But there was another one open. It all is good. I got my Dairy Queen. But yeah, I definitely took a very long nap and I actually took a very long nap the next day as well because I'm a little tired. Um, but yeah, so that was our Easter. I hope that yours yours was good. Um, I also want to check in with everybody and see how you're doing with the challenge that was given in the last podcast. And if you didn't listen, you can go back and listen. I actually, I believe I said that I was gonna go listen and I need to listen for myself and uh, remind me what I challenged all of you to do to challenge myself and um, you know did you take the challenge did you take me up on my offer of a challenge or did it go one in one ear and out the other I I hope that's not what happened Uh, my friend Michelle started a, a Rev wellness workout group and uh, me and Abby have gone a couple of times. It's lots of fun. It's the first time I've ever done a workout with drumsticks. Yeah, fun. But um, so she was funny because after the podcast came out, she had her class. And so she was like, hey, if you're taking Aaron's challenge, then you need to come to class. <laughs> so very, very smooth there, Michelle. Very smooth. Um But if you did take us up on the challenge, I just want to say don't forget to um, take a picture or a little video or a boomerang or whatever you want, slow-mo, whatever kind of you're into, um, and hashtag us on Instagram at uh, hashtag 30dayddwp because we would love to see what you're doing, what's going on, and hey, it could be encouragement to somebody else. Give them an idea of like what you're doing and tell us what you're doing. What what are the things you're taking on in, in that challenge? And I will do the same. Uh, I'll post something in there. I'll Maybe I'll have Kara post too. <laughs> She's like, why are you roping me into this? <laughs> She's like, I'm just the, I'm, I'm not doing the podcast part. But anyways, uh, consider yourself challenged, Kara. Um, but... I am going to take things a step further uh, with this challenge. And I'm kind of, I told you last week that I was building on the foundation of between the spiritual and the physical self. So we went to a challenge and don't worry, I'm not giving you more of a challenge, like add more things to your challenge. So don't freak out. Don't, yeah, I'm not doing that. But um, I have been watching you're probably like, how much TV does this girl watch? Or how much Netflix does she watch? Maybe a lot. I don't know. Maybe I need to look at that. But but it's good. It's good. Uh, (laughs) I've been watching Top Chef, which is kind of funny because Abby, uh, she'll be like, oh, what are you watching or whatever? And she'll watch a little bit with me or whatever. And she, she, I'm like on season three and there's like 17 seasons. So, you know, it, they're pretty old. And she was like, what are they wearing? Why are they wearing those clothes? And I'm like, because it's like from a while ago. So it's just kind of funny. She was not very 
um, amused with their outfit choices. Um, <laughs> and maybe you're thinking like, okay, how are we going to have a podcast on Top Chef? Well, we're not going to have a podcast on Top Chef, but we can definitely learn something from Top Chef, let me tell you. And besides the fact that I can learn something that besides I I cannot, I just like totally lost my thoughts. <laughs> See, this is real life. This is podcast being recorded live. It's actually kind of late at night. So <laughs> maybe I should have done it earlier in the day, but things got in the way, but no, we're good. Um, besides the fact that I now, when I cook in my kitchen, I sometimes pretend like I'm on top chef. Do you ever do that? I don't know. Maybe I'm just a weirdo. Um, but don't judge me if you never do that. Or you'll be like, yeah, girl, I totally get it. Um, but this is the thing. Number one, I think we can learn something from anything, whether it's something good or it's something bad. I don't care what it is. I always think there's something you can learn. And apparently, colleges believe the same thing because I know when my husband was in college, he took a class where they watched movies and then they basically dissected them. And like, what could they learn from them? So see, I'm giving you something that is not just an errand thing that we can learn from Top Chef, but also used in colleges. Um, but before I go any further, like um, what I want to bring up from it, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page of like how Top Chef works. I know that it's pretty self-explanatory. Okay, I get that. But... Um, Basically, these cooks get these challenges, okay? And they're not just like cooking, you know, because a lot of them say like, if we're just cooking, it's not that big of a deal. But they're always like throwing these different like ingredients. They can only use these ingredients. And it's like weird things. Like one was like eel. Like who eats eel? I don't know. I wouldn't eat it. One was like alligator. Uh, I, I don't think. Yeah. Anyways. Or, of course, they get paired up with, like, someone they don't get along with. Or, you know, there's lots of different things that push them out of their comfort zone. And you get the idea. But they always have, like, this small challenge. And then they have this bigger challenge. And when they have that big challenge, like, the small challenge, they get, like, an immunity, which is great. Because then they can't get kicked off the show. But in that big challenge, they basically go in front of a panel of like very esteemed, well-known, renowned chefs and either get picked apart or get praised for, you know, the dish that they made. And something I started to notice was so when they go to the judges table, the they'll often be asked to explain why they did what they did. You know, why did they put that with that or why did they you know, cook it that way, or, you know, they'll just kind of be basically asked to explain what they, why they made the decisions that they made. And, um, and I get like, obviously, usually they have to explain when they're getting picked apart, which nobody really wants to be picked apart. I'm not a fan of that. I'm sure you aren't either. But here's something I've noticed whenever they've had to explain themselves, um, they often have a list of excuses of why they, you know, did what they did. It was, it'll be like, well, I'm working with someone and they're just not at the caliber that I am. So it's really their fault or, 
Um, I've never worked with this product before. I've never even heard of it, which probably be me because a lot of the stuff I've never heard of before. Um, or, you know, like you didn't give us enough money or I didn't have enough time or I'm not as experienced as the other people on this show. I'm a new chef or I haven't worked in a five-star restaurant or I haven't, you know, had the same training as the other these other people have. I mean, the list goes on and on of, of excuses that they have. And um, Paul was actually listening to it while I was watching it. And he was like, man, that girl sure does have a lot of excuses. And I said, yeah. And she has had the same supplies. You know, I sound like a judge. The same budget, the same time, exactly the same as the rest of the chefs. Yet they shined, but she didn't. And she got off the show. But that really kind of got me thinking about how many times I've made Uh, excuses in my life um, when things haven't turned out the way that I planned. Uh, You guys know a little bit about my story. Like growing up, I had a single mom. She worked multiple jobs at some points in different parts of my childhood. And I didn't have a relationship with my dad. Our family lived in housing like you paid uh, what your income level was. Um, we used food stamps, we were garbage pickers, <laughs> we didn't buy new clothes, we always had hand-me-downs, and basically, you know, the cards weren't really in my favor. I I should have been like a statistic, you know, I shouldn't have, you know, with all the things that happened in my life, you know, maybe been a successful adult, and, but I also had friends that grew up with me, basically the same exact circumstances as me. And, but when certain things would happen in our lives, they would often give these excuses of the decisions that they made. And I would kind of just look at them and say like, hey, we grew up in the same way. And so you can't really use the upbringing we had to make an excuse. But that is so human, right? Humans are really good at making excuses. I mean, it's just like in our DNA. Um, I, of course, felt the need to look up the, the word excuse because, you know, this, this podcast is called Diving Into Deeper Waters. And so we're going to dive into, I think I've said this before, probably. Again, sometimes I don't remember what I said, people. Sorry about that. But I think that it just gives, okay, you're like, I know what excuse means, but I think when we look upwards, it can just give some new layers, some new light, some new definition to how we approach a word. And so I don't want to just talk about excuses off the top of my head. (laughs) I want to dive into the layers of that word and what it means. And actually, I found two different kind of meanings for it. The first uh, definition was to attempt to lessen the blame, attaching it to a fault. And the second was to release from a duty or requirement. What I want to do in this podcast is I want to take both definitions and kind of unpack them with you. 
And I want to take the first definition, and I think there's no better way to dive into it than using the Bible, because there's actually not a shortage of stories in the Bible that we can look at of people making excuses. There are tons of situations of people attempting to lessen the blame on themselves, and they quickly attach the fault to someone else. I actually even found an article named The Ten Lamest Excuses in the Bible, which I thought was pretty interesting and amusing. But if we were going to do all 10, it would take this whole podcast, and we're not going to do that because I don't want to keep you forever. But I want to start with a classic, classic excuse, classic story that basically totally embodies that first definition of excuse. And when you open up your Bible, it doesn't take very long to get to the first excuse <laughs> that's given by the first two humans. All you have to do is go to Genesis chapter one, chapter two, get to chapter three, and there you have the first excuses. And I'm going to read it. Um, I'm going to read uh, Genesis chapter three, verses one through 13. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from that tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took of it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Notice how it didn't stop her or anything. Hmm. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. That must have been a rude awakening, right? <laughs> so, sorry, I find the humor in the Bible. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Like, did they really think they could hide from him? But they did. But the Lord God called to the man. Again, this is this astonished me. Like God knows exactly where they are. Yet he says, where are you? <laughs> and he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is that this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Okay, let's just start with Adam. This is his response. The woman you gave me made me do it. Now, first of all, he blames Eve, right? I don't think that was a very good idea because blaming your wife, like if I'm Eve standing there and my husband's blaming me, guess who's not going to get any cuddling for a while? Adam, he ain't getting no cuddling from Eve. He's going to put the blame on me. Cuddle time is done. 
But do you notice, I mean, this, this is kind of ballsy of Adam. Can I say that? I just did. Anyways, and I'm not taking it out. <laughs> he, not only does he blame Eve, but he basically puts the blame on God. Because he's like, the woman you gave me. So he's like, it's that woman. And then he points the finger back at God. So he blames God. The excuse is the woman and the excuse is God. Whew, that that took some balls. <laughs> and then, okay, so then the Lord looks at Eve. I wonder if in that moment when Eve's like, oh, good. Uh, like, oh, okay, I'm going to say, oh, crap. This is what happens when I'm tired, people. <laughs> She's probably standing there like, uh, Adam did not, they did not take the blame. So that means the Lord's going to look at me next. I mean, she had to be shaking in her boots because, and she probably was like, okay, I feel like it's hot potato right here. I feel like the Lord like threw the hot potato at Adam and Adam's like trying to throw it back at Eve and then throw it at God. And then, you know, now Eve's got the hot potato. And she's like, where, where do I put it? Where do I throw this little hot potato? Because of, of blame, the hot potato of blame. Where do I throw this? Well, it's the serpent. It's his fault. The snake, he made me do it. I mean, the talk about a blame game. Uh, <laughs> and this is the thing to that first definition. Adam quickly attaches the fault to Eve and God. Hmm. And Eve attaches it to the snake. Now, like I totally get it if they had an excuse because someone bound their hands behind their back and was like shoving this piece of fruit down their their throat and they had no choice. But that's not the story that I just read uh, because no one did that. Eve, first of all, Eve allowed her mind to be deceived. That, that was her first mistake. She let that snake just basically stroke her ego. And it was kind of over at that point. But even with that happening, she still made a choice. Nobody made her do that. And he, I mean, the snake knew how to make it appealing and desirable. We, we can see that. That's first and foremost. But she took it, she ate it, and it says Adam was there with her, right? We read that. Did you, did you hear that part? Because I think I pointed that out. And she hands it to Adam, who doesn't protest. He's not like, no, honey, we shouldn't eat this because God said not to eat this. He was like, okay, I'll eat it too. And he didn't ask her what she was doing or he just went along, along for the ride. And then, of course, you know, they realize we're naked. This is a problem. Um, what excuse can we come up with? Now, I do just want to mention before we go looking our nose down at Adam and Eve and them making excuses for what they did, think about our own life. You think about your life. I think about my life. And how many times have we been just like Adam and Eve? I mean... Sorry to say it, but I think we've all, you know, maybe it wasn't as extreme as this situation, but I think we're all pretty good at making excuses. We've we've all been in the hot seat <laughs> and we're all looking around to see who we can throw that hot potato of an excuse to 
And who can we attach the fault to that is not us? Can I get an amen, right? I, th I think that story is such a great representation of that first definition. We are so good at looking for someone else to, for us to attach the fault to so that we don't have to take accountability for, our, for what we've done. And we come up with all these excuses. Now, I wanna go to the second definition. Um, here's a story that I don't know if people talk a lot about. It's not like a go-to story. So, you know, maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. Um, but I think it's a great example of the second part of that definition. And so I'll just remind you real quick of the second definition. And let's see if you can see how it fits into this story. So the second definition was to release from a duty or a requirement. Um, in 2 Kings, and I marked my Bible so I wouldn't have to be like totally looking for it. Um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. I know it's, it's long, but see if you can pick out how in this story, they were looking for a release from a duty or a requirement. So Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram, and he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram and he was a valiant soldier. So pretty important person, but we have a but. But as great as he was, as important as he was, he had leprosy. Now bands from the Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Nahum's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Brave little girl to speak up. And Nahum went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Nahum left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. It basically seems like he's going to try to buy his healing of his leprosy. The letter that he had took to the king of the Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Nahum to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I a god? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? A slight overreaction here, Mr. King. Maybe he was PMSing or something. Because you do know guys PMS, don't you? Okay. My husband will debate that one with me, but it's true. It's documented. Anyways, <laughs> when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? See, even Elijah's like, what is your problem? Have the man come to me and I will know what they're and I and he will know, I can't read apparently, that there is a prophet in Israel. So Nahum went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's home. Now Elisha sent a messenger to say to him. So Elijah didn't even like go talk to him. He was like, I'll just send a messenger. And you must be secure in knowing what God's saying if you're just like, ah, you just send a messenger. Go 
wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But, there's a lot of buts. Nahum went away angry and said, I thought that this would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God. He was like, where is this prophet and why is he not speaking to me my, him, me himself? Because I'm pretty important here. Um, and all he had to do was wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abner and Farfar the rivers of Damascus better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Maybe he's also PMSing. Anyway, <laughs> Nahum's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great things, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Where is this river? Because maybe I can like become a young girl. My skin can be good, like a young girl. Anyways, then Nahum and all his attendants went back to the man of God and he stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. You're like, Aaron, there was a lot of ad lib. Well, it's just the things coming to my mind that I just felt like I should share with you. <laughs> so... Ah, Naaman's requirement to be healed was what? To go wash himself seven times in that Jordan. Now, I know like when you're reading it or you're hearing my version of reading it, <laughs> probably like, what's the big deal? You just go dip yourself seven times in some water. But actually the Jordan was like pretty skanky, gross, muddy. It wasn't like... It was like a murky, muddy river. It wasn't like some clear water. So to like wash yourself in it one time would be, ugh. but to wash yourself seven times, he probably was like, how on earth is this going to cleanse me if it's just a bunch of mud? But that's what he was told to do. And Nahum hears what he needs to do. And what does he do? He tries to release himself from the duty and the requirement given to him to be healed. And he actually does do that at first, right? He he basically is like, I'm angry. I'm going to go off in a rage. It's like a two-year-old. Like, <laughs> it's kind of crazy to me. But, you know, sometimes you don't realize if you were in this situation, probably would act the same way, I guess. I don't know. Um, now, I love Nahum's servant because... You know, he doesn't let him off the hook <laughs> and he doesn't buy the excuse. He's like, okay. And I, I love how respectful he is. Like just totally a side note. Like he's not like, are you not? Like this prophet is giving you a way to be healed and you're not taking it. What is wrong with you? And yet he's super respectful and that's probably why Nahum listened to him because he was a voice of reason and he he wasn't letting him off. Which, okay, totally said no, didn't even write anything down about this. But do you have people in your life like that that are willing 
to not let you off the hook with your excuses? Hmm. I, I definitely have had friends step in at times and even starting this podcast, I, they were like, no, do it again, do it. You need to do it. And so if you haven't like brought people into your life like that, or if people aren't like that in your life, I would say, you know, maybe you need to evaluate your friendships, reevaluate your friendships because we, we, sometimes we need somebody. I'm, I'm just going off here for a second. Sometimes I think that, I mean, what if that servant had not spoken up and said like, wait a second, dude, I'm not letting you off the hook here. I know you don't want to do this and I know it doesn't make sense. And I know you want to like get away from this and this isn't how you thought it was going to happen. But I'm here to tell you, you, it, it's going to make you clean. It's going to heal you of your leprosy. So listen, pay attention and just do what they say. Like that was a good servant. And that's the kind of friend that I would want in my life. And I guess maybe we need to look at too, are we that kind of friend who would speak that life into somebody when they're making a bunch of excuses for themselves of maybe why or why not they're doing something in their life and just say, no, I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Like we do that with our kids, you know, stuff like that. But I think it's also important to have that in friendships. That's totally for free. It's a side thing going off there. But that just kind of stuck out to me as I was going over that. And obviously the end is Nahum listens and he gets healed. You know, excuses never produce change. Um, Naaman had an excuse, but, and as long as he had an excuse why he wasn't going to do it, his situation could not change. It wasn't until he took out the excuse and he took it away and he did away with it that he was able to receive the healing. Also excuses, I mean, I think we think that excuses are really not a big deal. I, I, I kind of had this thought, excuses keep us bound in our current state. For Nahum, Naaman, sorry, said that wrong. Naaman, his excuse would have kept him a leper. But by letting the excuses go and following through so that there could be change meant that his life changed. And I would ask you, are there excuses that you're making that are keeping you bound in a situation or the current state of your life? And it's keeping you bound, not just, not just keeping you like stationary or just like, okay, this is where I am. I hear that from people sometimes like, well, this is my life or, you know, this is just how it's going to be. Why? Why is it going to be like that? Why do you want to live like that? You're just bound to this 
this place, uh, this existence, when all you have to do is say, no, I'm going to rise above this. I'm going to get rid of the excuses. And that's where change can come in. And you know what's a great producer of change? Challenges. <laughs> right? Nahum was challenged. Like, pretty big challenge for him, obviously, because he threw a little hissy fit. But it was a challenge. But the challenge produced change. And guess what? We're no different than Nahum. We really aren't. We, we want change with no challenge. I, I heard a quote recently, and it said, you say you want cake, so I give you all the ingredients, yet you walk out of the kitchen. And I mean, I think of the story of Nahum. Nahum wanted to be healed. He's given what to do, yet at first he walked away angry. It's like right there in front of your face. And yet, I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to deal with it. And you and me, we say we want change. So we're given a challenge. We get challenged. Yet we make an excuse. This, this podcast is just some food for thought. It's just to... Maybe make all of us step back and just take some inventory of, am I making excuses? Sometimes we just need to do some soul searching and just kind of ask ourselves that question. You know, the two parts of, of the definition for excuses, do I attempt to lessen the blame on myself or attach it to a fault? Do you do that? I definitely think I've done that. Or do I release myself from a duty or requirement? Listen, I can't answer these questions for you. I have to ask them for myself and I gotta dig dig deeper for myself and I'm gonna challenge you to do the same. Why? So we can have change. So we're not bound to this living in the same place because we, we are just making excuses of why we're there. Uh, maybe your excuses are standing in the way of us being changed. Maybe, maybe it's just simple as that. Maybe we're just putting out all these excuses and it's, if you're looking at your life and say, why am I not going forward? Why am I not changing? Why am I not this? Why am I not that? Maybe you just need to take a step back and say, what kind of excuses am I making? Maybe it's just as simple as you're just making them and you're believing them and that's where you're living. That's the place that you're living. I don't know. I'm just asking the question. <laughs> and again, I'm asking it for myself. Just what if we removed the excuses? I think that we'd be propelling ourselves to move forward and see some real change and allow ourselves to be challenged so that that change can happen. So you got homework. 
like, wait a second, Aaron, you're challenging us. You're making me do 30 days or whatever. I'm not making you do nothing. It's just a challenge. But do you want change? Just ask yourself that. Do I want change? Go back, read those stories. I gave you the things. Read them in your own mind. Read how, like, insert yourself. Insert your thoughts, just like I apparently did for you with mine. (laughs) And let's challenge ourselves so that we can see some change. I'm going to do something kind of fun uh, to send you off on if you're like, okay, that was like super heavy, Erin, because I just thought this poem was really fun, and I hope I can read it. Um, It's a little difficult, um, and apparently words are not my friend today, but it's called Excuses, Excuses by Gareth Owen, and I just thought it was fun. Okay, ready? Late again, Blankenskop. Apparently, see, I can't even say the name. All right, I'm going to start again. All right, late again, Blankenskop. What's the excuse this time? Not my fault, sir. Whose fault is it then? Grandma, sir. Grandma's? What did she do? She died, sir. Died? She's seriously dead, all right, sir? That makes four grandmas this term, Blankenskop, and on all on P.E. days. I know, it's very upsetting, sir. How many grandmothers do you have, Blankenskop? Grandmothers, sir? None, sir. You said you had four. All dead, sir. And what about yesterday, Blankenskop? What about yesterday, sir? You were absent yesterday. That was the dentist, sir. The dentist died? No, sir. My teeth, sir. You missed the math test, Blankenskop. I'd been looking forward to it, sir. Right? Line up for P.E. Can't, sir. No such word as can't, Blankenskop. No kit, sir. Where is it? Home, sir. What's it doing at home? No, not iron, sir. Couldn't you iron it? Can't, sir. Why not? Bad hands, sir. Who usually does it? Grandma, sir. Why couldn't she do it? Dead, sir. I know it's probably a really stupid way to end this podcast, but I just got a kick out of that. The blame game. Let's stop making excuses and let's start making change. Can I get an amen? Amen.